Shalom, and thank you for listening to Beit Zayit Messages. If you enjoy this teaching, consider joining us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. at 465 Lee Highway in Verona, Virginia, for our morning Shabbat services. Or watch the service live stream on YouTube, Facebook, or on our website at baitzai.org slash live. May the Father bless you richly through the hearing of his word. Shabbat Shalom. Good to see you guys. I've been seeing a lot of me today. It's good to be seen. Uh, that was a friend of mine who always would say that as a response. So before we begin, we'll go ahead and enter into a time of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this uh, very special time, uh, this Holy Shabbat. It's been a wonderful day uh, with you and with your family, with all of us together worshiping you. Let us ask, Father God, that your words come forth from me, uh, that your words be heard, uh, the words of Yisrael, the words of the Brit Kaddishah, and the words that you have given to all of us. Hallelujah. We are so thankful, God, for you. And all these things, Father God, we lift up to you in the mighty name of Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Amen. All right, so with Vaera, I titled this The Almighty's Deed. So we'll look back actually in the previous portion. We saw that Exodus 3, uh, in Exodus chapter 3, God reveals part of who he is um, to Moses, but not fully. Um, he also reveals himself um, earlier on as I am that I am, or I will be what I will be. So, ayah, asher, ayah. So, it's a state of being. It's not a name, but it's, an, it's a describer. Then later in Exodus chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, God reveals himself to Moses by his ineffable name. So, ineffable means so great as it cannot be put into words. It cannot be described. So that is with the Hebrew letters, yod Hey vav Hey. That is not a proper name, but it cannot also be described, which is fitting for God. You cannot put God in a box. So that's the idea. A lot of people like to say, well, I know the sacred name of God, and I'm going to say it all I want to do. And it's like, well, out of respect of God, we don't. And we know that the, the interesting thing about God's name, he's so holy, he is so mighty, he is so all-knowing all and divine. We cannot describe him. The only thing that we can come close to is to look at his deeds, look at what he stands for, look at who he is. We know that he is merciful, he is just, he is righteous, right? We know that he also has wrath as well. We see the plagues in this. We see the justice, and it may seem harsh a lot of the time, but God has, gives us a chance to repent. He gave Pharaoh a chance he gave him several chances, you're right, to turn back. And over that year, that's one thing I, I didn't actually realize either until recently myself, that it was a year that this took place. That's a long time to change your mind. You know how you get angry at somebody and you get over it in a few days or even in a few minutes or a few hours, depending on who you are, you know, you're just like, why was I even upset? I'm just going to go talk to them and settle things, you know, or just talk to them, love them or interact with someone. But holding on to, to bitterness for a whole year, could you imagine? But with that said, God revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, and that loosely translates God Almighty. 
But by the Lord, he did not make himself known otherwise, other than that name or by that identity to the patriarchs. But however, in Genesis 15, verses 7 through 8, just real quick, Hashem reveals his ineffable name in the Torah, you can see it, uh, to Abraham. So why did the Almighty say to Moses that your forefathers did not know him by his name? Let's read it together. Genesis 15, uh, verses 7 through 8. Now, your version might say, I am the Lord, and uppercase L, symbolizing that is, that is God, that is, that is his holy uh, name, his marker there. And we say Adonai. But it says, Then he said to him, I am Adonai, who brought you out of Ur, of the Chaldeans, so the Chaldeans, uh, in order to give you this land. Uh, so, that, uh, so he said, My Lord Adonai, how will I know that I will inherit it? So with that said, it's, it's already there. So it's like, well, wait a minute. The name was already there. They are, they are, he already revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Rashi actually reconciles uh, the seeming contradiction, which I'm also often asked, hey, this, this word doesn't line up. There's a contradiction in the scriptures. You know, about the, about the child, remember, Yelid, you know, it can also mean offspring, not necessarily a little child. Uh, that was a, another tale for another time before I get carried away. Rashi recon, uh, reconciles the seeming, seeming contradiction. He explains that the Lord did reveal his name, the Lord, or we say Hashem. That's using the definite article, by the way, for the Hebrew students out there. English has definite article too. We say the to identify something specific instead of this is a bottle of water. But if I had a special one, I'd say go grab the bottle. If there's only one. So Shem is name, but Hashem is the name. There is no other. So when we say that, we're talking about the one uh, out of respect of God. To the forefathers. But he did not reveal the meaning of them. So Rashi was talking about the meaning was not revealed yet to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Rashi continues, the understanding, uh, uh, Rashi understands the name the Lord to imply God's unchanging nature. That's key right there. Uh, the Lord is, I will be as I will be. So, a yeah, a share, a yeah, right? The unchanging God is faithful to keep his word. The name of the Lord implies, I am faithful to uphold or verify my words. So, ne'eman le'emet dibre. So, you'll often, uh, ne'eman is one who is faithful. Emet is truth. La'emet is one who verifies truth. One that is, uh, it's the, you see that lamet on the beginning there for action uh, to verify my words. Dibare, dibare is my words. So, he is the one who, uh, he is the promise-keeping God. If you guys will forgive me, I'm stuttering a lot today and everything. The uh, two hours of sleep will do that to you. I wasn't able to sleep well last night, unfortunately, so... Bezrat Hashem, that, uh, with the help of God. Um, amen. But, moving back, the forefathers did not see these promises fulfilled as Moses would, so that the character and action of God were going to be revealed, particularly when God heard the cries of Israel, of the Israelites in bondage. He remembered, not that he forgot, but he, started, he remembered the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
And he began to be a God of action, keeping his promise at this point. The forefathers did not see these promises fulfilled as Moses would. They knew the name the Lord, but God did not reveal the essential meaning of that name in that they would not see the covenant promises fulfilled. So I'll turn your attention real quick to Hebrews 11, uh, 13. and actually talks about this a little. It says, the, uh, These all died in faith without receiving the things promised, but they saw them and welcomed them from afar, and they confessed that they were strangers and sojourners on the earth. So uh, this is particularly uh, speaking of the patriarchs. They didn't get to see the promises completely fulfilled. It started with them. The beginning is no more less. Uh, no, uh, the beginning is just as important as the destination. The entire beginning and end point are important to understand and see how they connect. A lot of times we always look at the future. We always look at the covenantal promise. Well, how's it going to end up? But we can't forget the journey that we're on as believers. Just like the patriarchs began. The covenant with Abraham began with uh, Abraham with that promise that God gave him uh, that he would make him numerous, father of nations. But also, Moses did not fully get to see the promise fulfilled, but he was old in his age as well. As I was reading this week, um, we see also that he, because of this, uh, hitting the stone, if you remember, hitting the rock instead of placing his staff on it, he was forbidden to enter into the land of Israel, into the promised land. But he got to see his people go into the promised land. He still had mercy that was shown to him by God to show him, your people are making it, that you've led all these years, these 40 years in exile, if you will, these 40 years of wandering around. But God came through with his promise there too in the future. So as we continue... You see God starting to act at this point. We can see in the following chapter, so chapter 7, that Hashem plans to bring out of Egypt the children of Israel. As previously mentioned, Hashem is now actively showing Moses and soon all of Israel his nature to keep his covenantal promises and delivering them from bondage. So if it was a little unclear for you, I want to clarify. So we saw the beginning with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they, they might have known the name. You might get hung up on a legality or, a, or like, well, they knew the name, so what's, what's the big deal? The point is they didn't understand his intention and his nature as it is now being revealed because God is actively going to be intervening at this point, sending plagues. And actually, he tells Moses, go before Pharaoh and tell, um, let my people go. He has chance after chance, Pharaoh does, to deliver the people from bondage. God did not arbitrarily or capriciously decide, uh, decide to harden Pharaoh's heart. So that's another thing. It's like, well, why did God harden his heart? Why couldn't he have made him copacetic and easy to get along with and easy, right? Whenever we sin, whenever the world sins, whenever anyone is transgressing the law of God or transgressing the nature of God, God will confirm us in our sin. So that is also a hardening. When we are willfully disobeying, uh, dis disobeying God, particularly someone that it doesn't know God at all. Just they hate God. They say, well, I don't believe him, but I hate God. You know, they'll speak of hatred or disdain. God will confirm you in your sin. God will also 
show you or like, fine, you don't want you don't want to be a part of my promise, then I'm not going to let you. And on, on top of that, I'm actually going to I'm going to harden you. I'm going to confirm you in your sin what you're doing right now. I'm going to confirm you in that. And that actually it's interesting because we see that again uh, throughout Scripture that that is a pathway to lead us back to God a lot of times. It's a chance, a second chance. Because when you feel hard-hearted, I don't know if, if you have or not, I have had hard feelings in my life. And I feel guilty afterwards. And that may be because of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for that, literally. But holding on to bitterness and anger and, and, and hatred inside or hard-heartedness, not wanting to listen to anyone or do things your way, really, really speaks leaps and bounds to what God can do, can do to us actively, uh, bringing us to show that, you know, we were wrong. We made a mistake. I'm sorry, God, please forgive me. But Pharaoh doesn't have that at all. So that's the contrast. That's why I was, wanted to elaborate on that for you today. But from the onset, he explained that he intended to make his contest with the Egyptian pantheon. So God wanted to contest the Egyptians' gods as well. So each of these plagues came against God, uh, the gods of the Egyptians. So the god of the of the Nile, you know, the the just like we read in Ezekiel about the alligator, you know, um, the scales. Hananiah says what he'll do to the alligator. Uh, I just thought that was a, an amazing connection. Uh, that's uh, the, an amazing Haftor portion. So, with that said, he said, against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And that's Exodus 12, 12. So that's where I'm getting that from. So you can see for yourself. So, he intended to use Egypt as a theater in which he could establish his name, i.e. his reputation, and his identity in the eyes of the people of Israel, and in the eyes of all Egypt, in the eyes of the whole world. So when God was doing this, the Egyptians saw it, the lowly to the high. All of Israel saw it, the lowly and the high. And those surrounding, those that did a lot of trade, you've got to imagine too, Egypt a, is, a, is a world power right now. There's trade throughout the entire region. You've got different people coming in and out of there all the time. And they're seeing all this. So the world is, being, is going to be inf- seeing that some bad stuff went down in Egypt, you know, and seeing the, the might of God being revealed to the world in a mighty way. Not only did the Holy One plan to act and reveal part of his nature to an entire nation like Egypt, but he also was establishing his greatness among the gods of Egypt, as we read. So in Exodus 7, I have a slide for that. Exodus 7, verse 5. It says, The Egyptians will know that I am Adonai when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel, B'nai Israel, or the sons of Israel among them. So in the Semitic sense, to declare one's name, so you'll notice that says he always says, I am Adonai, or I am the Lord, after he says something. That's a declaration. He said what he means, and he validates it with his name. He says, I am approving what I said. This is a declaration that I am making. So in the Semitic sense, so in the Jewish perspective, in, a, in that part of the world, to declare one's name means to broadcast a person's fame or reputation, not identity. Like, oh yeah, that's Garrett. You know, that's an identity or, or, or identifier just by a simple name. But it doesn't say anything about my, like, like fame or reputation. 
like it would in the sense of the, of the Near East perspective. To declare God's name means to reveal who God is, i.e. to glorify him. It has nothing to do with pronouncing or not pronouncing the sacred name of God, rather. It is, a, it is everything to do with revealing God's person and his character to the world. That is who God is. That is how we can relate to God. We see what he, do, he does outside of ourselves and also within us. We see how he does. Uh, we see how he keeps his covenant with us as well. Consider the following passages. We'll go over that about deeds and declaration of the Exodus narrative in, in which the Almighty explains his motive, uh, motives for striking Egypt and delivering Israel. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So from this very verse we read, it says the Egyptians will know that I am Adonai, I am the Lord, when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from among them. Next we have Exodus 8, verse 6. And it's in verse 10 if, you're, if you have uh, King James or an NASV, an English translation. But in verse 6 in the Tanakh, it says, Tomorrow, he said, um, he said so he said, Let it happen again according to your word, so that you may know that there is none like Adonai. So there is none like him. That is a declaration. Next we have chapter 8, verse 18. Oh, okay. Sorry, guys. Technical difficulties with the PowerPoint. That's why I stuttered a little. Sorry, guys, about that. Oh, that was fast. Good job, guys. So that you will know that I am the Lord, and I am... I am in this land, referring to Goshen. So it says, But on this day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people are dwelling, except no swarms of flies will be there, so that they may know that I am Adonai in the midst of the earth. That's another declaration. So that you, they will know, you will know. This language we're st we see. A few others. Exodus 10. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson, how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, that they will know that I am the Lord. So to your children and your grandchildren, tell them what I've done, my signs among them, and say that I, um, so that you may know that I am Adonai. And then we also have 12.12, as we did read just a minute earlier. So that was against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. The judging the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. And lastly, we have Exodus 14.4 that says, we'll read it together on the screen, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will, uh, he will follow after them. Then I will be glorified over Pharaoh along with all his army. All, and the Egyptians will know that I am Adonai. So they did so. We also can see in Colossians 1, 16 through 17, it says, For by him all things were created, so this is God, in heaven and on earth, the seen and the unseen, whether thrones or angelic powers or rulers or authorities, all was created through him and for him. He exists before everything, and in him all holds together. So that reminds us, too, he's above all these gods of the, the, in this Torah portion, uh, because if their God was as powerful as him, there would be no flies. Their God would countermand that, right? If the river God, right, of the Egyptians 
wanted his river not to have blood in it, there wouldn't be blood. But God is the true God, and there was blood in the river. That's the point. And you see that in Colossians 1, 16 and 17 as well. You see it throughout all of Scripture. You cannot escape it, the glory of God. The Lord used the plagues, the signs, and the wonders, and even the redemption of Israel to show his power and to proclaim his name throughout all the earth. He made his grand entrance onto the stage of world history and sent a message to the whole world. I exist. I am God. There is none like me. He sent a message to the false gods and the idols, proving that he alone is God and there is none other. Israel is the, triumph, uh, the, is the trophy of his victory. That is the fruit and the proof that God was faithful. See, in, in history, Judaism is a very old religion, and there's a reason for that. Hebrew is one of the oldest languages on the earth. There's a reason for that, right? Nearly 5,000 years, over 5,000 years of history, of covenantal history, has transpired between God and man that we can see in the Bible. We see that also in the words of traditional Jewish prayers. I know you may not know Hebrew fluently. It's also why we have the English translation too. So you can see what we're saying. A lot of the words that we're saying, we're, we're declaring God's glory when we're saying those words. We thank him, we praise him, and we, we give him the glory for everything. And that's why we say it. But Israel is here today. It was formed in one day. In 1948 and in 1967, it had its independence. It exists still. It was the only language, Hebrew is the only language that has ever died as a language, meaning it wasn't spoken by a people group anymore as a common language. And then it was brought back. It was resurrected, if you will, again in modern history by the state of Israel. That has never happened ever in history. Like Latin is a dead language. It's used in ceremony, like if you, uh, if you have a Catholic family, you might know uh, Latin. But it is not used just to speak. It might be used in the medical field a little, but it's not a speaking language. But Hebrew came back. That is also a sign of God's victory. Whether you're a Jew or not, to see what God has done. It's God's victory. He brought his people out, and he kept his promise. And they're still here all of us are still here. Bezrat Hashem, with the help of God, directly because of that. That is another aspect of his character and his deed, is deliverance and redemption. And we also have the ultimate redemption through Yeshua, the Messiah. The demonstration succeeded. The decimation of Egypt made an impact on the world, and the name of the Lord has never since been forgotten. In Jericho, the Canaanites were still talking about what God did in Egypt 40 years later. That's why they didn't let them in, you know. Uh, they had high walls. Today, if you go there, Jericho is a very flat place. littered with. Uh, it has little houses, but there's no tall walls or a fortress anymore, even today. The Philistines were still talking about it 200 years later. And we are still talking about it today. So let that sink in about the victory that God has. So when he makes a promise, and a, a particularly a covenant, he keeps it. Even when you see darkness in our world today and you see all kinds of atrocities, God is with us. 
even when we're in times where he doesn't feel like he's there, he is. We are his people because we have made covenant with Yeshua to reach Hashem, our God in heaven. And we have access to God because of that. And that is another story that we can carry with us every day of our lives as a trophy of God's victory because of him. And with that, I leave you, and I thank you very much for your time, and Shabbat Shalom. Again, thanks for joining us for the Beit Eat Messages podcast. This podcast is an extension of Beit Eat Messianic Congregation, a group of Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah, currently meeting in Verona, Virginia. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review, along with a five-star rating, or give us a thumbs up, wherever you're listening from. If you're interested in learning more about the Creator and His Word from a Messianic Jewish perspective, check out our website at BeitSaiE.org for helpful resources and more information. Until next time, Shalom.